0: My energy here.
1: Post light. Post light.
0: Post light. Post light. Let's do this. Hi everyone, welcome to the Postlight Podcast. I'm Gina Trapani. I am the CEO of PostLight, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in this business, the president of PostLite. Chris Lissacco. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, Gina. It's wonderful to see you.
0: Good to see you too. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? Yes. Yeah, we're mid-January recording this. This is going to come out late January. What's your... I mean, that's Google way too
1: late. I feel like it's first <laughs> week of January and then you're done. You get, you get like a First week of January of always? I, I yeah. remember I
0: send that email to that person I haven't spoken to since like well before the holidays last year, I always want to type Happy New Year, and then I'm like, it's January 13th. Like I, that's
1: you got go. Weird. It's weird. <laughs> my opinion go. is weird.
0: Okay, I like being opinionated. It's, it's I'm rational. just
1: saying. Time moves on. <laughs> it's
0: time moves on. This is not new anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not new anymore. It's We're not new anymore. The it's We're just year. in the year. You say Happy New Year. It's a happy year. It's 2023. The first episode with the two of us in 2023.
1: That's right. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you too. I want Here's what I think we should talk about today. We have been having a lot of conversations, you and me and internally at Postlight about how we help our clients do better, especially when they are in environments that are less than ideal. And one of the ways that an environment can be less than ideal is when you get saddled with a bunch of legacy technology on the back end. How many times have we been in a situation where we design like a brand new, really great customer facing experience and we get told early on in a design review or in a planning session, I'm really sorry, but we can't do that. The back end doesn't support it.
0: This happens a lot, right? Cause, it happens cause most a lot. Out, like, we just, we need to monitor, we need a better experience. You know, our competitors are killing us. People hate using this platform. Like it just needs to be easy to use. Right. And easy to use in a modern, you know, web or app world means that you know the experience is alive. It's interactive. Its data gets filled in quickly, and and it's responsive, and all all the goodness, right, that we've come to expect in twenty twenty three from our apps, right? But that, yeah. that that front end, that front of the front of the house, requires the back end to you know enable that. But we yes. we often get brought in to do the front of the house, and then the back of the house is like, no, no, we we can't serve that food. <laughs>
1: Right. Don't have that <laughs> and it's completely backwards you know the backend exists to enable what the experiences are that we want on the front end what the users and the customers and the clients are actually seeing and touching and experiencing And if we don't prioritize those things and make sure that whatever's happening on the server side and in the database to enable those is catching up, to the experiences that we want to enable we've got our priorities wrong we're thinking about it the wrong way and it, and it is so frustrating I mean certainly to us it is so frustrating, but I think to a lot of teams out there it's really frustrating when it's like we know we could do it better, but you know we can't for x, y or z reason and uh, I think we should talk about like how to how to get around that because the conversation should not stop there that is not enough of and excuse, you know? So I think the relationship between a great front-end experience and a, and a powerful back-end technology is similar to how Apple redefined the relationship between hardware and software. Because what Apple really introduced was that great hardware and great software have to work together. There is a symbiotic relationship where if you've got great hardware with subpar software, it's good, the experience is going to feel bad. Even if the physical device like feels really good in your hand and the buttons are good and you know you've enabled or you've designed the right kind of sort of physical experience that you want people to have, if the software is not lighting up that experience, like say hypothetically, the keyboard in iOS was like really glitchy and slow. The whole thing Uh, wouldn't feel right. The whole thing falls apart. The whole thing falls apart. And the opposite is also true, right? If you've got really amazing software and you put it on subpar hardware where it's slow or it's, you know, it's not optimizing for the right things and animations don't work and scrolling feels awkward and like these sort of basic things that the hardware is going to enable, that doesn't feel good. And so you need to think about these things in concert with each other. Now, they can evolve independently and they should and right. and we'll talk about that but this idea that you have to think about the holistic marriage between the two is really really important and i think apple really showed us when it's done well how incredible it can be and so many companies don't think of it that way they think of it like well we're just going to you know we have the back end we have and you know it was built 25 years ago, and it's been battle tested, and it would take a lot to change. And so we are just going to continue to to push out experiences that we're not super happy with, because we don't want to address the underlying concerns.
0: The fact that Apple coupled hardware and software so closely together, like it, it's really it's a really great point that you're making. And it's funny because, like, I'm, you know, like on the Android side, part of the reason why Android wasn't quite as good an experience is that the hardware, you know, market was so much more open and there were all these different handsets and the software didn't always sing on those handsets. Right. It's why I almost exclusively bought Google Google. Android phones, which were like the, the spec phone for like, here's every time a new version of Android came out, it was like, here is the, the, the Google phone. Cause I knew that that was how they intended for it to run, you know, it, and it makes a lot of sense, but you had a lot of bad Android experiences and lower end handsets and handsets that had different features. I want to just stop and pause and talk about a little bit what we mean when we say, when we, when we talk about the front end and the back end, like this is just part of like modern development now is decoupling parts of the platform you know in this you know in case hardware and software but in in our case we often work on web and mobile it's the back end and the front end the back end being the databases the servers the business logic the place where you know backups are happening all the sort of the piping right and the front end being the place where you know humans are interacting right and those two things have to talk to one another right it's good practice to separate the concerns of those t- those things, right? Because it used to just be a big monolith. So like anytime you had to make a change to anything, it affected the entire monolith, right? Everything could fall down, right? But in a world where they're decoupled, you can make changes separately to the different areas. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. But that separation often means that there are different teams there are different resources, there are different costs associated with the two different, and they start to sort of separate and And development, you know, happens kind of in parallel. And a lot of what we see is sometimes, you know, it's just like, well, you know, we've invested all this into this particular backend. We've got a bunch of people, you know, keeping it up and running, right? But we need a better customer experience. So can you just fix our customer experience, you know, our user experience. We <laughs> right. just do that? We've got this great backend. And then it's like, actually it doesn't, you know, I don't have the data that I need or it's really slow. Right. Like, if the backend is slow to, to serve me this data, the front end is going to feel bad it's not going to be a good experience it's going to be a bad experience right right and but it's hard to be like well i don't have budget for that right like that's not what we're doing here that's it you know we, we the back end is over here in this other you know shady basement data center <laughs> <laughs> at the company and i don't know anybody over there so can you just do what you can do with what we have it's so it's very limiting
1: it's very limiting Right. It has been, I think, fully embraced that like if you want to work on a part of the platform where your interface is a programmatic interface that is enabling front ends, like you can have a very fulfilling, you know, job, a very great career actually thinking about how to invest and involve – sorry, evolve – Backend technologies you know there's there's a whole area of expertise around how to build especially great services oriented architectures and make sure that they are you know they scale well they're they're sort of well deployed all of this kind of thing. But the best backend teams are constantly asking themselves, how are we enabling more functionality for our front ends to take advantage of? Yes. And the orientation is always around what is the customer going to see? What is the user going to see? What are the people who are actually clicking buttons and interfaces or touching, you know, their phones, how are they going to interact and how do we make sure that we are evolving our platform to service those needs? rather than the other way around, rather than saying, this is what we are able to do, please do the best you can, which is kind of what you were saying before, right? And the most success that we've had as we go into clients, when we are doing a forward-looking, you know, design effort, where we're thinking about how do we do the next big point release, or how do we do the next big major feature on a platform is saying, Let's make sure that your backend team is involved from the very beginning so that we can be thinking about how to upgrade what exists today so that when the front end is ready to make use of those features, they're good to go. They have been independently developed and tested, you know, to the best of our abilities. And maybe we use a sort of a sample or a prototype interface or prototype calls to make that happen. But there's a way to say... The customer experience is not just the job of the front end. The customer experience is the job of the back end. And we need to make sure that, that those leaders and those teams feel connected to the experience that they're enabling.
0: It is incredibly, incredibly rare to find a backend team, particularly in a large organization, on a large team with a very complex and deep platform. They're thinking about the pipes. They're thinking about the database structure. Great. They're thinking about optimizing query. It's, it's a different, you know, their day-to-day work isn't the user experience. And this is why, you know, I mean, Postlight I think, is perceived often as a design agency or product design agency or product agency. And that implies front end. But truly, we, you know, we very much prefer and we do our best work when we can deploy a full stack team yes. where we've got the backend engineer working closely with the front end engineer, working closely with the designer, like literally, you know, elbow to elbow being like, the API doesn't give me this. I need this. And in this view, I want to be able to show this here or like this. I, I'm getting a spinner here. Right. Why is there a spinner? You know, why is this API call so slow? That kind of thing. Um, So that cross that cross-functional, Team, and that's a very different setup. You know, we, we often staff, you know, relatively small teams, five, six people, right? That's a different setup than, you know, most especially in a big, big organizations. Very rare to find that back-end engineer and that back-end engineering team that the front-end team has access to and that are like, Prioritizing the experience. I have a friend of mine who you know is very good at this. He's a, he's one of the best backend engineers I've ever worked with. He's a mentor of mine. I worked for him years ago, and he was telling me this story. I was catching up with him a couple of years ago, and he was telling me this story about you know he's working at a small company, and you know the website was wasn't converting visitors into users into registered users. So, you know, the marketing folks like came to him and was like, you know, if somebody comes to the website and they just enter their email address, like we we need them to be logged in. Like we need to give them the full logged in experience, like right away. Right. Because people aren't, you know, clicking the email and verifying and all that stuff. Like we need to remove as many barriers to get to the logged in experience as possible. And so, you know, my friend who's a leader of this engineering team brings it to his team and says, okay, so this is what the request, you know, this is the feature, the feature request, the change request. And his team, you know, the reaction was just like, that's not possible. And it's like, why is that not possible? It's like, well, the whole you know, notion of a logged in user is that they've verified their email address, that they've set a password and we need their information. And like the whole database is structured around, you know, the entire application, the backend application, just, you know, it doesn't, it won't understand this. Like we can't, we can't do that. That's just not how it's designed. And, you know, my friend was like, all right, like kind of, you know, so what should we do? And the engineers were like, well, we should just go back to marketing and tell them, you know, we, we can't do that. Mm. And my friend was like, wrong answer.
1: Wrong
0: answer. <laughs> wrong answer. What do we have to do? The business depends on this. This is a business need and databases can be changed. <laughs> the platform that, can yes. be changed. The backend can change to service the front end the way the front end demands. That is a very rare, rare leader. And I think I think what I sense for my clients when, when there's a need... For the back end to be faster or better or more efficient is just like we've seen just be like, I, we can't, that's a that's a whole other thing. Like, I don't, you know, we don't have access to that. And so we just can't, like, what can we do without doing that, right? This is, there's this
1: resignation this, to this
0: resignation. There's this like, this is just a foregone conclusion. This is what we got to work with. So what can you do with it? That's just not how full stack whole platform, you know, development is done, is done best. That's Right. right? And ideally that those requirements are driving the changes to the the modernization of the back end, right? Is like the front end is driving that. The experience is driving that versus the other way around.
1: Right. We love great engineering. What you're describing, this orientation is not, does not preclude a lot of thought and investment and really good, what's the word? Like optimization maybe on the back end. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't sort of do things the way you want to do them as a back end engineer it just means that you have to be doing it in the larger context which is that there are business choices that are always going to defer to what customers and clients and users want or or yes. need and that's correct like that is what we should be thinking about and we should always be thinking about the back end can't be holding the front end hostage the back end can say you can't do these 3 things because we don't support them it has to be Okay, if something is challenging, maybe we need to talk about how to get creative or compromise or take a phased approach towards getting there, but we're going to figure out how to enable it because that's where we're all going together. This to me highlights the importance of, you know, good programmatic interface design and making sure that you are investing in your APIs, your the interfaces between the front-end and the back-end and the various services that are involved in your platform, the more that you can put energy into getting those right, the more you're going to be able to enable with great front-end teams thinking about, okay, how do I light up these designs? Because they're going to have more at their disposal. They're going to have more power and capability because the, the investment was put in on the API. I mean, it, you made this great point about, you know, Facebook, coming up with GraphQL for this exact reason.
0: I mean, I love this story because it just, it speaks to a, a real world user problem, right? So it's like 2011 and smartphones are becoming a thing and Facebook wants people to use Facebook on their smartphone, right? But, ne- you know, networks are low bandwidth, mm-hmm. phones are low powered, right? And if you, if you think about like the Facebook newsfeed, loading up the Facebook newsfeed, it's actually a very data rich- Oh my God. Bit of information, right? You've got posts and links with images and, comments users, and, and users and likes
1: avatars. and comments. <laughs> uh,
0: right. I mean, it's just it's a lot it's a of nested stuff. data, right? And if and if the experience is good, you know, you tap and you see more, you know, comments and that kind of thing. And Facebook could see that in order to load, you know, the news feed on a you know new smartphone in 2011, the news feed had to make dozens of API calls, right? Which is a network request from the phone to Facebook servers, right? All have happening in parallel getting sequenced up on low bandwidth networks and the news feed was slow as molasses right. and people didn't stick around right the fastest way to lose users and say ah like i can't deal with this is to just be slow right you <laughs> slow and you can you can imagine this happening and they and they weren't just like oh, well, like, let's redesign the newsfeed so it has less da- interesting data. Or I guess, you know, some people just need to upgrade their networks. Like, they didn't do that. They didn't throw up their hands, right? Because they knew that the future of their business depended on people getting the newsfeed yeah. and, and using the newsfeed. So so they invented GraphQL, which is this one API request that gets the, all the nested data, no more and no less than exactly the nested, you know, bits of data that the newsfeed required. And, and they open sourced it to their credit, they're open sourced it. We use GraphQL on a bunch of our projects because it's incredibly network efficient, very, very fast. The payloads are, again, no bigger, no smaller than they need to be. And that was a an innovation on the back end or on the API side that happened because the because the user experience was just bad on you know on phones. That's that I think is just a great example of the front end really driving innovation on the back end. I mean, of course, on the back end you're optimizing queries. You're always sort of looking at the hopefully, you're always sort of looking to optimize the performance of your API but that's a great example can you talk about chris when we work with clients and the back end and the front end are we're doing a whole stack thing where we have to build both the back end and the front end we have to deliver both those things we get the chance to do that we, we really love to do that how does that work how do you design a back end if the front end is is you know getting defined and developed at the same time how, how do they talk to one another
1: are the how do the teams or how do the how do the pieces of the platform talk to one another
0: like in one case, we had a client where we actually had there was another partner who was working on the back end, mm-hmm. and we were working on the front end, right? And we had to, and the, the two had to talk to one another. The teams weren't working together; they were working in parallel. Right? And you know that was an interesting interaction, right? Yeah, <laughs> because- I, I love that
1: case actually because that's we you know we didn't have control over the back end, and we did have to acknowledge that like there were you know these. Perceived limitations about what we could and couldn't do, but we didn't want to be limited by them. And we had agreement from our key stakeholder that we didn't, we wanted to push the envelope with what the existing platform could achieve by defining new and better and next generation features on the front end. And so the way we did that, I mean, two things. Number one, we did include a representative from the back end early on in our discussions. And I want to emphasize this because it's really important. A lot of people think, You know, when we're in the design phase, engineers doesn't matter. Like you just need to be thinking about how do we get, uh, designed and you know, they're going to do user research. They're going to do user testing. And then once it's all done and dusted and baked, then we'll put it in front of the engineers and we'll get level of estimates and that doesn't work or it doesn't work as well because when you have engineers in the room, you can make trade-offs, you can spot things that are going to need to be accounted for earlier on. Like everything gets a lot smoother two, three, six months down the road if you spend that time and energy up front. And it doesn't have to be a ton of time. It can be a little bit of time. So that, and that's point number one. The other thing I would say is, again, coming back to the importance of APIs, APIs are a contract. They say, you know, I as a front-end developer am expecting that I can make these calls and get this data back and I, as a backend developer, am expecting to receive these requests and will deliver up these responses and it allows the parallel pathing that you were describing to happen because you've got agreement on what the connection point is, and we've used that to great effect. The project that that we're thinking of, you know we agreed on an API very early on, and the API was based directly on the designs that means we pulled up mockups and said, how do we make sure that we have all of the data that is available for a given view or a given screen? Let's make sure that we've got that accounted for in the API. We're going to be thoughtful about how it's designed so that there's some semantic importance to the resources that are being represented here in this API. But then the backend team was free to figure out, okay, I need to figure out how to light this up. And the front end is free to think, okay, I'm going to rely on this data. And there's One step further you can take, which is you can actually mock this out on both sides. So you can have the front-end team working off of mock data where they are pretending, so to speak, to call an API and they're just getting back a flat file of data, right? JSON, XML, plain text, whatever you want to send back, whatever the API contract says you're going to get, assume that you're going to get that back and then build the front-end off of that. And the front-end developers don't have to be, they can be writing React code or whatever they're going to write and they don't have to be blocked by waiting for this new, you know, newer, modern, v2, whatever, backend to be developed. And the same thing for the API developers. They can make a mock request that assume that the front end is hitting them for, you know, the new data that they are, they're making the same queries that they're going to get when the new front end is in place. And they can make sure that they can respond in a appropriate way with the right data there. You can write automated tests against this. You can do performance testing. You can do load testing. Um, There are some really great load testing tools that are out there that will say, if you want to make sure that your, the new version of your API is going to be just as performant or more performant as what you have today under load, you can do that in an automated fashion and spin up, you know, a thousand or 10,000 nodes against your new API using uh, mock data. So being able to agree on the contract and then letting these two teams or, you know, n number of teams run in parallel, assuming that those are true, is an incredibly effective way to move the whole platform forward without having to work as one big monolithic group, even if the code bases are different.
0: That's right. And, and this contract, I mean, it's very specific, right? It's like it's like, I want to get user information. So me, the front end, I'm going to send you an ID. It's going to be an integer between a thousand and ten thousand, right. right? And I'm going to send you an authorization token, right? Because this is private information. And then the backend is going to accept that integer and that authorization token. is going to check. Is this authorization token good? If not, it's going to send back an error. If it's good, okay, let's take this user ID. Now I'm going to send back a username. That's going to be a string. It's going to be 20, up to 20 characters, right? Like these, it's very, very specific. And every single field that, that, that the API accepts gets defined, like what kind of type of data it is and what gets returned is defined. And so that the front end can expect, okay, the designer's like, all right, this, I'm going to have an English word that's up to 20, you know, 20 characters. Here's where this is gonna fit. So this stuff takes time. It gets super, super specific. But yeah, just like you said, like, you know, if you could set up that mock data, if you could set up those automated tests, and you know exactly what's gonna happen if the user isn't authorized, if the ID isn't actually an integer, you know, yep. if the user doesn't exist, all, all those things. This is I could go on about this. I APIs are. So fun. No, and I know. That they're, they're the best.
1: And and I feel like this is not a revelation. Like this is not right. a new is, thing that we've that we've stumbled upon. This is something that I feel like uh has best been, practice for years. Has been a best yeah. practice for years, 10, 15, 20 years. We've we've known that like the separation of concerns and being able to agree on a programmatic interface is a great way to just enable teams to run in parallel and really dramatically speed up your pace of development. And yet here we sit in 2023 and I know for a fact that there are several clients, you know, that we've worked with in the recent past who don't take this approach, who it just it's very hard to change your way of working and to acknowledge that like yes, this means that your back-end team is going to have to get a little uncomfortable because they're going to have to keep pace with what the front end is requiring and what the front end is asking for. So it just, it's something to constantly sort of think about and talk about and put out into the world that we need to do more of this kind of thinking and make sure that our back end teams are continually oriented around enabling great user experiences. And then figuring out how to do that is the work.
0: Is the mindset Is the exactly mindset. right? Right. If our businesses and organizations exist to serve our customers, right, then your platform should back end should serve the user experience, right. And I think that that like in good product development, the teams really internalize that. That's right. right? That you're not you're not building around a database, right. That's right. <laughs> you're building the database to service the 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 app. We, we are very passionate about this. We have strong opinions. I, I, wrote, I wrote a very dramatic headline. I'll, I'll put it in the show and I'll link to it in the show notes. It was end the tyranny of a limited backend. I love it. So uh, we'll be happy to uh, link that in the show notes. This is a cultural, this is a political shift. This is a different way of thinking because so many software platforms are just, you know, these big systems that have been running for years. And, and we start to, we orient around them, big, especially big companies orient around just making sure that they're running and going and you User experience is kind of either equal or lesser than right just the, the priority of just making sure that the system is running and it's compliant and it's you know all, all, all those things uh so this is something that we're happy to evangelize and talk about at any time so we would love to talk to you about this. If you're facing this problem of the backend team, just saying like, that's just not possible. <laughs> you're expecting too much. This doesn't work for us. Give us a call or send us a note. We'd love to hear about this and talk to you about it. Uh, you can always get in touch with us at hello at postlight.com. Chris and I read every message that comes to that inbox. Yeah, and we'd love to, to talk to you, even if it's just to kind of commiserate and and help you make the case. For thinking full stack and for really thinking about that prioritizing that user experience absolutely that felt good that's a good i felt like a good event to start the year with 2023 baby user experience to drive the whole thing we're off
1: on the right foot
0: <laughs> yes well i won't say happy new year i'll just say happy day chris so glad to be back on the show with you <laughs> <laughs> and thanks and for upwards, listening on- on- onwards and upwards thanks for listening everybody Bye. talk y'all. soon bye